John chapter 4, we're going to dive right in. What we're going to do is we're going to read the text for today, and then we will pray and unpack it together. Now, um, understand as we're reading the text today, we are jumping right into the middle of a story. And so Jesus um, goes through Samaria and he meets with this Samaritan woman at the well and they have this conversation and uh, he offers her living water and then tells her all about her past and she then runs into town and tells everybody about it. So we're kind of diving in verse 20, the middle of this story, John 4 verse 20. Are you there? All right, here we go. John 4 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, this woman says. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So the Samaritans came to him They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we uh, get this opportunity to come and worship you and enter into your presence and and hear from you through your word. God, I pray that's exactly what happens, that you would just illuminate the scriptures for us and help us to see what is going on, what you have for us today. I pray that we would um, be stirred up to worship you in spirit and in truth today, and we would be empowered to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit, would you guide my speech? Say what you want to say. Work on our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is part two of a, of a sermon. And um, last week, what I, what I said was as I first studied this passage um, last week, I uh, just what popped out to me was these four W's in the text. These four W's, kind of four phases of what's going on. Um, Four big themes, and that is the woman, the water, worship, and witness. So those are the four W's, and then I added some S's to those just because I'm a preacher and that's what I do. So I added uh, the Samaritan woman, and uh, the spring of living water, and the spirit and truth worship. 
and uh, then the Savior's witnesses. And so um, those were the four W's. We got through two of them last week, and so uh, you can go and watch those online or go and listen to them on the podcast or whatever. Um, But we covered this woman that he's talking to who uh, is this Samaritan woman, and she's kind of this outcast in society. And we learned that um, she was in an immoral relationship. Jesus says, the the man you're staying with right now is not your husband. She was in this immoral relationship, but she had had five husbands before that. And we think, man, this woman has been bouncing around. This is crazy. She must be really immoral. But the reality is... um, Whenever we read that she's had five husbands, it doesn't tell us what happened to those five husbands. We just kind of interject there something. And so we think she's just been bouncing around from guy to guy and can't really settle down, but she could have had five husbands die. And that would have been a tragedy. And the guy, the sixth guy is like, I ain't getting married to you, you know, every guy that... So it it could have been that, and, and then it could have been... Uh, that she had five divorces, and if that is the case, though, she uh, legally wouldn't have been able to initiate those divorces, because in the culture, men were the only ones who were able to initiate these uh, divorce and just put out a woman for really no reason. And so you could go from a stay-at-home mom taking care of your kids and, and your husband providing for you to all of a sudden he puts you out, and now you're kind of out on your own trying to scrounge either way. She's uh, been a victim of immense tragedy in her life. She's had quite a past, and she's ashamed of it. She's embarrassed about it. She's coming to the well at noon because um, that's not the normal time to come to the well. You don't come to draw water in the heat of the day. You come early morning. You come in the evening. She's coming at noon because she doesn't want to be around anybody. She has shame and embarrassment for her past and her current relationship situation. And so Jesus enters right into there. It says he had to go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment with this woman at the well. And he comes and uh, and he just offers her living water. And we said that this living water is 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 the Lord. That when we drink of it, it's our believing in Jesus and and receiving this living water that becomes a well, a spring of living water that wells up to eternal life, he says, that Jesus satisfies, that he's the only well that we have to go to. He says, if you keep going to this well, you're going to keep having to go to this well, Jacob's well. But if you come to the well of living water, you will never be thirsty again. He satisfies the deepest needs of our souls. So those are the first two W's. The woman, that he reaches out and pursues us in our sin, in our mess. He touches the stuff in our life that we don't want anybody to know about. And then the water that he satisfies the deepest needs of our soul. And so today we're going to get into the, the next two W's. And so the next one, as we just read, is spirit and truth worship. That Jesus seeks uh, true worshipers. So after he has this exchange about the woman's uh, relationships, he says to her, uh, or she says to him, so he says, you know, you've had five husbands and the guy you're with now is not your husband. And then she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Verse 19, I perceive you're a prophet. It's like, yeah, yeah. Obviously he knew things about her that no one would have been able to know otherwise. And, uh, and so she's like, he's, she's not saying he's the prophet. She's not proclaiming that he's the Messiah. But she's like, you've got some connection to God that most people don't have. And then he says, I perceive you're a prophet. And she goes right into this. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say it's in Jerusalem is the place where we ought uh, to worship. And, and she like immediately changes the subject. And some people think she's just trying to get the attention off of her sin and her past and that could be the case it could also be the case that whenever you kind of meet someone who's like really spiritually mature and leaders like you you come in contact with whoever the spiritual leader is that you idolize and you're like man if I could just ever meet that preacher that whatever it is I will have some questions for him and so it could have just been that she meets this guy and she's like man he's a prophet I've got some questions let's settle some things Um, tell me about uh, predestination versus free will can, we, can you settle that argument for me? 
And like, give me an answer. And then she's like, well, okay, are you pre-trib, post-trib, pan-trib? What, which one, which is it? And it seems like she has some really significant questions about worship. She says, is it on this mountain that we worship? See, the Samaritans had um, built their own counterfeit uh, temple on a separate mountain than Jerusalem. And they had their own counterfeit priesthood and sacrificial system. And they had kind of mingled the Jewish religion with some other pagan practices. That's one of the reasons why there was this feud between the Jews and the Samaritans, because the Jews saw the Samaritans as people who were compromisers, and they had uh, defiled the true religion of Judaism because uh, of their mingling of these false things. And and so she's like, so then you have the Jews who have the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, and you have uh, the Samaritans who have their own temple. Um, and she's like, which one is it? Which one's the true place of worship? Because Samaritans would argue it's our temple. That's the true place to worship. Jews would argue it's our temple. That's the true place to worship. And so she's like, can you settle this once and for all for me? And... Um, you know, Jesus goes and pretty much tells her that um, it's not about where people worshipped in the past, but it's about how they're going to worship in the future. And even we do this. We, we begin to associate worship with a place or a time. We, we think, I'm going to, I mean, we, we call this a worship service, what we're in right now. And, and it's like, we think, I'm going to church to worship. We have nights of worship, which we associate with just singing. And worship is a lot more than singing, but that's how we think about it. I'm going to go to church to worship. I'm going to go on Sunday to worship. I'm going to go to a night of worship. And we can get into this uh, mindset that worship happens when we go to a place. And it doesn't really happen anywhere else. It's the same thing going on here. You have to go to a particular place to worship. Where's the best place to go? The reality is that you can worship God 24 hours a day. That worship, true worship, is a life of devotion to Him. It's not about where you worship. I guarantee you, when you get to heaven, the Lord's not going to say, so what church did you go to? Where did you worship? What denomination were you a part of? Was it the right one? No, He kind of dismantles all of that right here. He says in verse 21, Jesus said, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And so kind of what he's... The Samaritans only accepted uh, the first five books of the Bible as the Word of God. And so uh, they rejected the rest of the Old Testament, which ex like tells us a lot about the Lord and how he wants to be worshipped. And, and so uh, the Jews accepted the whole Old Testament as revelation of the Lord. So what he says is when you, wor you worship what you do not know, he's saying you're trying to worship God, but you don't even know who he is because you reject what has been revealed about him. And he says now the Jews, we worship what we know because we're accepting all the revelation about who God is. And salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. He's like, but everything's changing. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Um, so what does it mean to, be, to worship the Lord in spirit and truth? Because he calls these true worshipers. So it's like important that we know what it means to worship the Father, how he seeks worship. And I've always kind of heard that uh, worship in spirit and truth, like worship in spirit means that you worship like passionately you know, with, with all your heart and emotions involved and engaged. Or through the gifts of the Spirit you worship. And that's really not what he's saying here. What does he mean when he says worship in spirit? Well, he gives us a, like the hint right there in verse 24 where he says God is spirit. 
and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So what he's saying is that one of the things he's doing is he's contrasting physical worship. You don't worship on this mountain or that mountain. You don't go to a place. Contrasting physical worship with spiritual worship. What he's saying is that God is spirit. See, you are human. And as a human, you live in the physical world, in the material world. But, but God lives in the metaphysical world. He's in the spiritual world. And so you have to engage in worship in a way that transcends just physical acts. It's a spirit worship. And so if God is spirit and we must worship in spirit, then what he's saying is among other things, a a one who worships is, is you're living a life indwelt by the spirit of God. That um, you have to be spiritually alive. Holy Spirit indwelt. Uh, We saw in uh, his encounter with Nicodemus where he says you must be born again. You must have a new spiritual birth and that is a prerequisite for true worship. Spirit worship. And then in truth. In truth. Um... This is the full revelation now given in Jesus Christ. He's like, there's a new revelation coming. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but He's the truth. You know, in chapter 1 it said that uh, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're familiar with John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He says, I am the truth. So if we are going to worship in truth, then uh, we must worship uh, in a Christ-centered way. We We are worshiping the Lord through Jesus Christ. It's also that we're worshiping in harmony with the truth that God has revealed in His Word. John 17, 17 says, uh, Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. That we, we don't just get to decide how we want to worship the Lord. The way He wants to be worshipped is revealed in truth. And so we must worship uh, through the Son, the truth, in uh, submission to, in accordance with, the revealed truth, the Word of God. True worship is about God. Not about us. It's about the Lord. I'm reminded of Matt Redman's song. Red, Redman? How do you say his name? Redman? All of a sudden became a very difficult name to say. Matt Redman? In his song, The Heart of Worship, he expresses it well where he says, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within than the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. So, God is seeking these type of worshipers. True worshipers. Have you noticed this? That God isn't just seeking worship. He's seeking worshipers. That it's not even just about how you worship. He's he's concerned about the who of worship. It doesn't say that God's seeking true worship. He's seeking true worshipers. He's seeking you. Philippians 3.3 says this, Worship by the Spirit of God. Worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus. This is to worship in spirit and 
truth. And so what he's saying here, when he says true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth, he's, what the passage is saying is that people who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the truth, and have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit are the only true worshipers. It's about are you saved? It's what he's getting at. It's not about do you, are you Samaritan? Are you Jew? It's not about your history, your ethnicity. It's not about your um, religion per se. It's if you are a blood-bought son or daughter of Jesus Christ. If you've trusted in Him and His Spirit lives in you, you are a true worshiper. This um, true worship is moving from self-worship to Christ-worship. But how do I know if I'm Worshipping myself. You might want to hide your toes. I don't know if I'm worshipping myself. Whenever I leave a worship service and I say, worship wasn't that good today. Well, it's not about you. <laughs> like worship wasn't for you today. If you can only worship to your favorite songs, you're doing it wrong. Worship isn't made to make you feel good. Worship isn't made to give you an experience. Worship is unashamed adoration. We gather here for God. What we do in this place is for God. When we sing, it's to bless the Lord. Whenever I preach, it's to help stir in you worship to God. Because the more we know God, the more we love God, and the more we love God, the more we praise and worship and adore Him. And so the end goal of my preaching is that you would worship the Lord. Like even this thing that's going on is to ultimately bring glory to the Lord, to give us more devotion to the Lord. Show me one time in Scripture, please where people walked away from a time of worship saying, man, that felt amazing. I haven't seen it. Because worship is not about you. It's about the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't certain songs that better stir our hearts to worship. That's not what I'm saying. There are songs there are songs that we sang today that it's like it seems like it stirs our affections for the Lord. So absolutely, there are certain uh, worship services or songs or whatever that stir your heart for the Lord. But what I am saying is that your enjoyment is not a great gauge for effective worship. How I felt about it is not a great gauge for whether it was great worship. Because ultimately, it's not for me. When I was in Belize and in Mexico, both places, we worshipped uh, with them there. And they were passionate worshipers, but they were worshipping in a language I didn't understand. And so they're worshipping, singing. I'm in the room singing what I want to sing because I got my own language, you know. And uh, I, I didn't know anything thing that they were saying. It didn't make any sense to me. I didn't know the songs. But God was worshipped in spirit and in truth. Because worship is not about me. And it's not even about music. 
Music is one way that we worship the Lord, but it's so much more than music. The word he uses here, worship, it suggests the willingness to make all necessary physical gestures of reverence, respect, adoration, honor. It's this idea of uh, some people would call it kiss. It would, it would be translated as kiss because it's the idea of kissing uh, the hand of royalty, bowing to kiss, bowing in reverence. It's quite literally uh, bowing down in reverence before the Lord. It is saying, God, you are so big and you are so holy and you are so good. And it is, it is putting your face down in bowing of reverence for the Lord. It is quite literally a life that is lived saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I am not. I am not. I remember I was witnessing to a man, and uh, I think he was, uh, he's proclaimed to be a Buddhist. And I was witnessing to him, and it was quite an intense conversation. But I remember at one point he said, I will not bow my knee to anyone. He had a very a high sense of pride and dignity, and he felt it a disgrace to bow his knee to anyone. And I said, uh, okay. Like, that, that's, that is the problem. Like, because that's what surrender to Jesus is. is it's bowing our will. It's bowing our desire. It's bowing ourselves and we're going from a life of self-centered, self-seeking, self-fulfilling, self-worship to a life that's all about Jesus. Spirit and truth worship. He's seeking such worshipers. And the second W is uh, the Savior's witness. That Jesus is worth sharing. Let me just step back a moment and say, um, back to worship. Drinking of this living water, believing on Jesus, will result in spirit and truth worship. That you worship your life, you worship God through your life, through Jesus Christ. And so, have you, are you a true worshiper? Are you a true worshiper? Have you received Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you trusted Him? Have you bowed a knee to King Jesus? Have you laid your life down in reverence towards him. Okay, the Savior's witness. What we see here is that witnessing is an act of worship. Witnessing is an act of worship. See, we think of music as worship, but he says, look, the, the first act of worship that this woman performed was witnessing. Verse 27 it says, just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. No one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, eat, rabbi. But he said to them, I have food that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, is someone giving him something to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, the disciples were so focused on physical needs. They're like, Jesus, get something to eat. Like, let's take care of these physical things. Jesus was focused on spiritual needs. See, the disciples had been called by Jesus. They had been said, come follow me and you'll become a fisher of men. I'll make you a fisher of men. And they're like, hey, Jesus, he eat some lunch. Uh, when are we going to get started with this ministry thing? When is this whole thing going to get rolling? And Jesus is like, it's already begun. Like, open your eyes to the opportunities for ministry right around you. And we like to make excuses why we don't witness. Here's one excuse that we make um, is, is that people just won't be interested. 
For some reason, we think people aren't interested in the things of God or in Jesus or in forgiveness or in salvation, and we're just, people won't be interested. They could not see why he would be talking to this woman. And he said, he saw, they were marveled that he was talking to this woman. They said, what do you seek? And why is he talking to her? They couldn't understand why Jesus was talking to her. But Jesus knew that people are open and ready to, to hear the gospel. He says the fields are white for harvest. He's like, look guys, open your eyes. It's harvest time. Start sharing. Start ministering. And so we see Jesus' reason for witnessing in verse 34. He said, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me to accomplish His work. So Jesus is like, look, He kind of used this food illustration. He's like, look, my food, the thing that energizes me, the thing that sustains me, the thing that gives me uh, vitality, that thing is to do God's will. It's to do His work. It's to do ministry. And so what many of us avoid, which is witnessing and sharing our faith and telling people about Jesus, Jesus was strengthened and energized by that thing. Matthew 28, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And he ends it with saying, and lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. That, um, and I really believe this, that you will sense the presence of God in your life most vividly whenever you are doing the commission that he said he'll go with you. That whenever we are making disciples, whenever we are sharing our faith, whenever we're teaching people to observe, to live out these things of God, it's, it's in that moment that we experience the manifest presence of God in the most vivid ways. It's in those things that energize our spirit when we sense Him with us. What energizes you? What energizes you? What is it that you have given your life to accomplish. Here Jesus says, man, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. That is the response of someone who's worshiping with their life, worshiping in spirit and truth. He gives this uh, reward for witnessing, right in verse 35. Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and have entered into this labor. He says that you're going to receive a reward. You're going to receive wages um, whenever you lead others to Christ. That there is great blessing in leading people to the Lord. We see, I believe, in verse 36 when he says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages for gathering fruit to eternal life. I think he's talking about the Samaritan woman that she is already receiving the wages. She's already receiving the rewards for gathering people to eternal life. These, these disciples have been following Jesus for a little bit of time now. <laughs> and this Samaritan woman has had like a few moments with him at lunch and at the well. And she's already like immediately, she's got it. And he's like, she's already receiving rewards for her work in the kingdom, and you guys, you've got to get on it. There is no greater reward than seeing others believe on Jesus. There, the, we share the joy of seeing people come to faith in Christ. And so there is a reward. Then he gives us this roadmap for witnessing. We saw his reason. We saw 
the reward. Here's the roadmap. First, um, look for people in pain. This woman was at the well when no one else was. She was sitting by herself. Um, She had deep shame and embarrassment and um, seemed to be lonely, didn't have friends there at the well with her. And I think in the same way, we've got to look for people who are in pain, look for people who are hurting. Those seem to be people who are most receptive to the gospel. Jesus makes a priority to reach the unreached, and so should we. I remember when I used to, uh, when I was a youth pastor and I was working uh, campus ministry, we would go to the schools, the middle school and the high school, um, at lunchtime, and uh, just walk around and uh, hang out with students and chat with them. And I remember I would always look for the person who was sitting alone. And uh, it's like all these kids have all their friends. They're probably not as interested. This guy who's sitting alone, there's a reason why he's alone. And then I would go and sit down with the, the kid who was sitting alone and just start up a conversation with him. Be interested in him. Talk to him. And maybe that's it, looking for people who others would avoid. Christians must take the initiative in in evangelistic conversations and questions are a good place to start. Jesus started this conversation with this woman. He said, would you give me a drink? He just started up this conversation and he began to use the the flow of that conversation to to share the good news of living water with her. And um, we've got to open up our eyes spiritually to see things, to look for opportunities. Last week, or a couple weeks ago maybe, uh, Hayden and I went to uh, pick up a refrigerator from this uh, lady who was donating it to the church. And um, so we go, she's just living alone, she's moving. Um, She's a great lady, a fun person to be around. Just called the church randomly and said, hey, I got a refrigerator, it's practically new. I want to donate it because I'm moving and the place I'm going already has a refrigerator. I said, great. So we just came to pick it up. And um, on the way there, I prayed, Hayden and I prayed, said, Lord, you know, if there's any spiritual conversation to be had, if you want to open up a door, I pray that we'd see those things, that you'd help us to discern and, and share what we need to share and that kind of stuff. And so we showed up, and she was a great lady. We started a conversation, and I just said, I just said, hey, um, whenever you decided to get rid of this refrigerator, you called a church. I said, so what's your relationship with the Lord like? And we, she began to tell me about what she believed about God and how she knew the Lord and all that. And I was able to, so we had a great conversation. And uh, it wasn't a hard sale, like you want to pray a prayer and fill out a card and all that kind of stuff, but it was, it was a good conversation. And if you uh, pay attention and if you open your eyes to see opportunities, you can begin to initiate spiritual conversation that's in a non-threatening way. And questions are a non-threatening way. I took something that we had in common. She called the church to donate something. And I just turned it into a question to start a conversation about Jesus, to start a conversation about the Lord. And we had a good time. We were able to pray with her. And I feel like the Lord is working on her from what I've heard uh, about our time with her. But just look for opportunities. And then secondly, sow a seed. Sow a seed. We see Jesus give this analogy. He said, do you not say yet there are four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages for gathering fruit to eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So he's like, look, witnessing is just about sowing seeds and sometimes you get to reap sometimes you get to harvest but our uh, goal should just be to go and sow seeds where we can and I think sometimes we think about witnessing like we must um, sow the seed and water the seed and fertilize the little sapling and uh, watch it grow and harvest it all in one conversation 
And we feel this immense pressure, like if we start a conversation about Jesus, it has to end with, do you want to pray? You want to pray the prayer? And he's like, no, sometimes, sometimes you're just sowing a seed. Sometimes you're just watering a sapling. Sometimes you're just, just sowing a seed here and there. And if you have a conversation with someone and you're just sowing a seed, it doesn't mean you've failed. You haven't failed. You've performed your role in that moment. And then other times, really cool, whenever you just get to harvest those seeds, right? I remember we had a, a guy in our church who was getting baptized, and, and um, we have a baptism class before bab- baptism to kind of make sure you understand what you're doing and what's going on. And he brought a friend with him. First time to church, he brought a friend. They're in my office. I'm giving this baptism class. At the end of the class, I'm like, okay, let's pray. And his friend says, um, I, I want to get saved. And I was like, all right, all right, let's do this, you know. And so we prayed, and then he got baptized the next week. And it's like first time at church, first time meeting this guy. He's like ripe for the harvest. And I, in that moment, I did nothing. I did not labor in his life to share the gospel. I was teaching this guy about baptism who was about to get baptized. And he was just ripe for the harvest. And he's like, I'm in. I'm next. It was amazing. Sometimes you're sowing a seed. Most of the time you're sowing a seed. And then sometimes you get to be there when that person is ripe for the harvest. And it's neither one is any better than the other. Paul said uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. He's like, sometimes you're just a planter. Sometimes you're just a waterer. Ultimately, God's the one who gets the glory for what happens, the transformation that happens in a person's life. And just sow a seed. So look for opportunities in your daily life, in the grocery store, at work, at school, wherever you are. Just look for opportunities. And just pray. Maybe you pray as you go into the dollar store and say, God, you know, I'm going in here just to get a couple things. Just open my eyes to see if there's anything that you want to do. And sometimes there will be. You'll bump into somebody in in the aisle and they'll start a conversation with you or you'll start a conversation with them. Or maybe you can say an encouraging word to the cashier or just begin to sow seeds as you go in there. Sometimes you'll go get your stuff, you'll leave, you won't talk to anybody. Sometimes you sow, sometimes you reap. God gives the increase. So how do we sow these seeds? And here's a couple of ways that we see in the text. Um, one is to just share your story. Verse 28, The woman left her water jar and went away and said to the people, Come see the man that told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And she's like, just come see the man who told me all I ever did. And then down in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Notice this thing that this uh, woman was so ashamed of. She didn't want anybody to talk about it. She didn't like Jesus talking about it. She's changed the subject. All of a sudden, she has this boldness to go and tell people her story. All of a sudden, she's like, come see what he, he told me all that I ever did. Well, what did you do? Well, let me tell you about it. This is how I was. And then he like gave me this living water and I'm like a different person. Hey, I've been transformed. We see this beautifully in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 uh, verse 1 says this. And you, so it, it describes our precondition of Christ. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the works of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's like, this is who you were. Verse 4, here's a big shift. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, 
you have been saved. We see this beautiful way to share your story. That I, um, I was uh, like this before Christ, but God. And now. He's, he describes these, these things that you were before Christ. And he says, but God did this, this amazing work. And now you are alive in Christ. All right? So this is how you share your story. Learn how to do it in 60 seconds. Learn how to share it in, in, in a line at the grocery store. 60 seconds, 30 seconds. Here it is. Here's the structure. I was, but God, and now. I was blind, but God opened my eyes, and now I see. I was lame, but God healed me, and now I can walk. I was self-righteous and self-centered, but God, by the grace of Jesus, revealed to me the futility of my good works in relation to a holy God. And now I humbly depend on Christ's righteousness on my behalf. I was, but God. And now, what is your story? I was. You share a little bit about what your life was like before you met Christ. But God, you share about how you met Christ. I was at that church service. And they asked me to come down. I was at that conference. I was at a friend's house. And they shared. I was with my mom. And she shared. What is, I was but God and now. How has he changed your life? How has he changed your life? That's the story. That's the story. She, she's like, hey, uh, I met this guy. He told me all that I ever did. I was, and then, but God, met him at a well. Could this be the Christ? And now, boldly proclaiming Jesus, unashamed, unashamed. Does anyone want to share their story today? Anybody have a but God story? I was but God, you can share in 60 seconds. Okay, can we get a microphone? Um, Nathan's microphone, maybe. Come, come. For, can you come forward and share, or do you want to? Yeah, can you come forward and share? Great. I was, but God, and now we're gonna get you a microphone so the people watching at home can can hear. I'm not gonna make you come up the stairs. <laughs> come on, here you go. Please share your story. You have the mic. I was born into a Christian home, and so I thought that made me a Christian. And when I was six years old, a missionary from Africa visited our church. And several of us children were in the back. They had a little room, um, it's called a cry room, that had a glass where you could see, but you could take your babies out and the church couldn't hear them. So um, me and my cousin were back there and we were listening and the missionary had all kinds of beautiful artifacts up there. And the thing that he said was, God has no grandchildren. That just because you come from a Christian home does not make you a Christian. And at six years old, it's just like hit me. I'm not saved. I want to be a Christian. I'm not, I'm not a Christian just because my mom was. And I remember kneeling down in the little cry room. They had the little cold metal chairs back there. And my cousin and I, at six years old, knelt down. And I asked Christ to save me. So... Um, I was a sinner, but God saved me. And now, by His grace, I'm not. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I'll take it. I'll take the mic. Sorry. Thank you. Praise God. Amen. Uh, anyone else have a God story? I will. Come on, David. Come on. Come on. Yeah, we got to let people hear it online. 
Well, I was a heavy, heavy drinker. I could down a scotch bottle, those big ones, in three days. But God took hold of me, and instead of it being in a uh, bar, I am here today. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else have a story you want to tell? Y'all are doing so good. Yeah. My story is similar to Susan's. I was born in a Christian family. My father was a pastor. At eight years old, I realized that if something happened to my parents, that we would not be together in heaven. Mm. And at that point, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I can see the day, and I know the moment. God saved me that day. And years later, I kind of drifted away. But later, God got hold of me and directed my path, and now I serve him. And I am so thankful that God loved me enough to draw me back to him. Mm. Praise God. Praise God. (laughs) Wow. All right. Anyone else? Wow. Well, praise God. That's, that's sharing your story. I was, but God, and now. And I think that's, I mean, something similar to this, what this had, woman had to have done. I was a sinner, and I met this guy at a well, and I think he's the Christ. Like, you've got to come see him. And how powerful it is to just share your story, to share your experience with the living God. And then finally, I would say, um, so we, we look for opportunities. We sow a seed. How do we sow seeds? You share your story, and we share God's word. Look at verse 41. And many more believed because of his word, Jesus' word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and Now we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That people, your your story is a great entrance point for people to know Jesus. But ultimately, they've got to hear Him themselves. They've got to receive His word for themselves. They can't live off of your experience, your testimony, that they've got to receive Him for themselves. And the way, you know how we get faith? Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, they say here that it's no longer because of what you believe, what you said, but many more believed because of his word. They heard the words of Jesus. And so the joint testimony of your story and the word of God is a powerful evangelistic combination. Um, some people believe that the Bible has no authority in the life of an unbeliever because they don't believe the Bible. And so there's all these, uh, this philosophy of evangelism that goes around that says, don't mention the Bible whenever you tell people about Jesus because they don't accept it, they don't receive it, it has no authority in their life. But that diminishes the actual uh, ability that the Bible has to give faith to people. Jeremiah, one of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces? Like there is an authority in the word of God to break the heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. To give an unbeliever belief. So we must also share his word. Look, I... um, came across, the, I, I know this teacher, Paul Washer, and I don't know if you've heard about him, but he's a missionary and um, a teacher and kind of traveling preacher and uh, leader of a, a ministry, heart cry ministry, where they do a lot of mission work. 
Um, but I heard his testimony about sharing the gospel with a dying man in Alaska. And I thought it was just so powerful, and I would do it injustice if I told it to you. So I just want to show you a video of him sharing this testimony. It's about three minutes, and um, it's about three minutes, and the audio quality, the video quality is not great. It's an old video, but I believe it'll uh, be powerful in, in our time together. So would you watch this video of Paul Washer? Now let me share with you, I have 45 seconds left. One of the greatest moments of my life was a few clicks south of Alaska. Some of you may have heard this story. But a man, as soon as I got up in the pulpit, about 25 people, a man walked in, giant of a man, saddest human being I've ever seen in my life, and he came and sat down on the front row. I immediately just stopped and started preaching the gospel. After I finished, I went down, I said, Sir, what's wrong with you? What is wrong? He pulled out a manila envelope. And he just showed it to him. And he said, I just came from the doctor. I'm going to die in three weeks. He said, I've lived out in the bush working on a working cattle ranch all my life. You can only get there by riding over the mountains or taking a float plane or something like that. He said, I've never been to a church in my life. I've never read a Bible. But one time I heard someone talking about a guy named Jesus. And, and I do believe there's a God. I've never been afraid of anything in my life. And I'm afraid because I'm going to die. And I don't know what to do. Now, I said, sir, for the last 45 minutes, I have preached the gospel to you. The good news of what God has done for sinners in Jesus Christ. Did you understand it? He said, yes. Now, what would have most evangelists done at that moment? Would you like to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart? But this is what he said. Brother Paul, I understood it. I mean, anybody could have understood it. But is that it? Is that it? I understand it now and I pray a prayer and that's it. And I went and started explaining repentance and faith. And after several minutes, he looked at me and he says, I just don't get it. I said, look, you have three weeks to live. I have to leave tomorrow morning. I'll cancel my plane ticket and I'll stay with you for three weeks until you die. Either you're saved or you die and go to hell. So let's begin. But I looked at that man. I said, sir, faith cometh by hearing. Let's go through Scripture. We went through Scripture for over an hour. Every promise, Old Testament, New Testament, on and on. Just laboring until Christ be formed. We prayed some more. We read some more. Another hour goes on. It's getting late. I said, we're staying here. This man's dying. And then after I don't know how long, we got back to my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 3.16. And I said, sir, I'll never forget, because he had that Bible on his, on his legs, my Bible, and those big old hands of his. And I said, sir, let's just read through this again. He said, we've read through it so much. I said, sir, your life depends on it. And so he looked down, that big old man, and he goes, okay. For God so loved the world that He gave. Oh, oh, I'm saved. I'm saved. All my sins are gone. I have, my hands are clean. I, I have eternal life. Oh my, I haven't, I'm going to heaven. I said, sir, how do you know? He said, haven't you ever read this verse before? Wow. <clears throat> That's the power of the Word of God, right? Like there is authority in the Word of God to, to give faith and to transform your life. This is how Jesus did it Himself. If you remember when Jesus rose from the grave and He was walking with these guys uh, on this road to Emmaus and they didn't recognize Him, they didn't know who He was. But it says that on the trip, he just began to explain the scriptures to them, showing them where Jesus was in the Old Testament. And Luke 24, 32 says, And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while we 
He talked with us by the way and while He opened to us the Scriptures. Like even Jesus is like, let me just show you the Gospel in the Bible. Hebrews 4.10 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That it is sharper. It can pierce an unbelieving heart and give faith to the faithless. Gosh, so you gotta share, you gotta share the word. Share the word. Sow seeds of the word of God into those you meet. Um, Paul Washer and his ministry, Heart Cry, um, have a gospel track, <laughs> and their gospel track is almost just entirely scripture references. And it, it explains the holiness of God and the justice of God, how God is just. Like, you've got to explain the whole gospel. Like, why is it good news that Jesus died for us? Because God's holy and just, and so he must punish sin, but... Um, the depravity of humans, that we are sinful. And so then we are deserving of Christ's uh, judgment. And God can't just let people go who are evil. Like it was this, this great dilemma of His justice and His love. And so God, motivated by love, came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross and paid the price for our sin and rose from the grave for our justification. And now he offers this free gift of salvation to men if you repent and how we respond and repent and have faith in Jesus. And then how can you know that you have genuine salvation? Now, I couldn't get his gospel tracts for you today, but what I did is I printed it off just on the, just this little booklet here. And this is exactly what's in the gospel tract. So if you're like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what scriptures to share. I wouldn't know where to go. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I fully understand how the Bible describes the gospel. Uh, these are out on the coffee bar. And you can just take one of these, put it in your Bible. And maybe God will use it sometime. Maybe God will use it sometime. And maybe you'll have an opportunity to share with somebody and you're like, well, you know what? I don't know everything, but let me, let me get this thing I, I got at church. I got this out. It's called the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's just go through this together. And it relies heavily on the actual Word of God to explain the Gospel because the Word of God is the thing that is powerful as it is working. So um, if that's useful to you, grab that on the way out. But look for opportunities. Witnessing is an act of worship. Look for opportunities, sow a seed, share your story, plant a seed of the Word of God. I just want to close with this quote from Warren Wearsby. He said this about this passage. He said, it's interesting uh, to trace our Lord's movement that brought Him to Samaria. He was in Jerusalem in John 2, and then He came to Judea in John 3, and from Judea He went to Samaria in John 4, and the Samaritans declared to Him to be the Savior of the world. This is a perfect parallel to Acts 1.8. And ye shall be witnesses unto Me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Our Lord has set the example. If we follow, He will give us a harvest. And that's just so beautiful. Whenever He gave us the command to go into all the world, He did it Himself. He led by example. And the reality is that found people find people, as one pastor says. Found people find people. And if you've been found by the Lord, if you've drunk, drank of the living water, if you've found satisfaction for your soul, and you have a but God story. Man, we must share that with others. Jesus is worth sharing. He's worth sharing. 
Well, in a moment, we're, uh, the, some men are going to come and we're going to serve communion. And it's just going to be a beautiful, tangible reminder of the gospel. And uh, so at uh, Bayou Tala, we offer open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of our church. We just do ask that you have a but God story, that Christ has come into your life, that you've trusted him, that you've bowed your life to Christ. And, uh, and so we receive this together as a reminder of the work that he's done in our life. And let's just take a moment and pray in preparation. Let's take a moment in reflection to say, you know what, God, if there's anything I need to repent of, help me to remind me of those things so I can confess them before you now. And if there's any unforgiveness or bitterness I'm harboring or holding towards anyone, Let's just release that because we've been forgiven so much. And how can we receive communion, which is a symbol of our forgiveness, if we are not willing to forgive others? So let's just take that moment and bow your heads and close your eyes and let's just reflect on that. And if you um, are here and you've never trusted Christ, if you're watching online and you've never trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you can do that today. You can do that today. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Just believe on Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for these moments that we share in Your Word. And God, I pray that uh, we would live lives of worship. That You would convict us of where we've... Uh, created this worship culture that is around our own personal experience and help us to point the glory and the honor and the attention back to Jesus Christ. And I pray that our lives would be a reflection of worship, an, an act of worship to the Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to see opportunities to witness. That we'd worship you through witnessing. Open our eyes in the grocery store and at work and at school. And we don't have to be weird people, but just look for opportunities to sow seeds, to share your story, to share a scripture. Open our eyes to those things, God. I pray that you'd give us boldness to be obedient when your spirit prompts us to share. God, I pray that if there's anyone today that has never trusted you for the forgiveness of their sins and embraced you, I pray they do that today that the Holy Spirit would come rushing into their life and transform their heart and their mind and their desires and their will. I pray that you would bless this time as we remember your death on the cross and how you paid the price for the forgiveness of our sin. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.